0: Purple Insider presented by Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com insider and learn about the tall boy can, which actually has water. Find out where you can get it near you at liquiddeath.com insider. Matthew Collar here inside a hotel room because I'm having my bathroom redone so it might be echoey there might be noises the AC turns on at random sometimes but uh, I will do this podcast anywhere anyhow especially when we have trades to discuss and joining me from pro football focus the foremost front office expert in the universe Brad Spielberger what is up Brad how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. And the
1: the Purple Insider folks should know that Matthew Collar could do a podcast in a a tornado. The guy
0: has all the equipment and all the moxie to get it done. So I think we'll we'll push through. I have have done pods uh, in many a city, many a press box. I once did one in Chicago in a park because we got thrown out of the press box. Uh, I did one in a park when I was having some other work done in the house where I just sat in my car and used my iPhone hotspot and just cramped into the car and podcast. We will talk football no matter what. This universe cannot stop us. So, uh, Brad, let's just dive right into the Vikings trade, but also you've studied the Bears closely as well, and I I really want your take on everything they did because we're watching closely the Kwesi versus Ryan Poles uh, matchup, I guess, in a way, of the GMs that, you know, Ryan Poles could have been in Minnesota. So it's interesting to see that they're taking very different approaches. But TJ Hawkinson for a second and then some other change involved, and also the Vikings get some back in this deal. What is your initial reaction to TJ Hawkinson being a Viking? I actually like this
1: move from Minnesota. And, you know, as you probably know, and maybe fo- some folks know, I- I'm frugal. I rarely like when teams are, you know, trading high level day two assets for players. Um, you know, obviously, it depends on the situation, but. I think with Hawkinson, look, I, it, it was expected that Irv Smith was going to be ruled out. Probably his career as a Minnesota Viking is done now. Um, not that that should always push you to make a trade, but, um, you know, and you also have to factor in maybe there's the intra division premium price here, and I still like it nevertheless. With Hawkinson, you get, you know, a year and a half of control. He has the fifth year option for next year, about $9.4 million, but he's a known commodity as a top 10 tight end in the NFL. He's a willing blocker, probably not as good as he was expected to be coming out in college, um, and is a top-ten receiver on any metric you look at. I, I had, um, did an article this morning. He's um, you know, top-five in contested catches, top-seven or eight in, um, you know, I think it's yards after the catch per reception. Like Every aspect of receiving, he's a good player, um, so you know what you're getting. You can maybe navigate an extension this offseason or wait until after the fifth-year option year, um, and I think it's just – it's crazy to see another lions Vikings blockbuster deal this
0: early from, from Kwesi. Um, Yeah. He, he's doing things differently and, and, is not afraid to take swings. Yeah. And certainly uh, same goes for Brad Holmes. I guess that is willing to give a borderline star tight end to his rival. That is also young. And that, that's what I wanted to ask about because this is something that to tell you the truth, I didn't really address on the first two podcasts talking about this trade, but uh, why do you think the will uh, there was a willingness from the Detroit Lions to give away a player who they drafted extremely high? Now, I know that wasn't Brad Holmes who drafted him extremely high, um, but tight end is also not a position where you have to break the bank and go crazy. These guys don't make $30 million. They make about half of that if you're signing the best ones. And my dog is also here in the hotel with me. If you hear sounds of death, that's just her hacking up her breakfast. Uh, Anyway, so uh, why would they trade TJ Hawkinson? That is the question you have to ask yourself, right? He's 25
1: years old, um, a a good player at a position that has taken a longer growth. You know, the path to becoming a great tight end is is a long road. Uh, You know, I think it, it could be more about a fit. You know, he, like I said, he's not as good of a blocker. The Lions want to line up in 12 personnel, run a bunch of duo and gap, you know, gap running scheme and, and really shove the ball down your throat. That's what they want to do with Minnesota. You know, you can operate more in space. It's obviously this wide zone rushing attack, and you can utilize Hawkinson in the slot a little bit, not always in line, do different things with him. So I think that is a big part of it. But yes, when you have a former top 10 pick, regardless of who the GM, you know, is, whether he made that pick or not and he's tr- giving him to a division rival, you do have to kind of pause and say, why is that the case? But I also think it's also about timelines. It's sad that Detroit fans have to hear this again, but they're probably thinking, hey, are we going to pay a tight end right now when we're still a couple of years away, knowing that, you know, 20, 28, 29, 30 years old is often the end of the tight end career. Um, As tough as that is, it's it's the reality of the situation. So, I think that is also a big part of it is they clear, you know, the fully guaranteed fifth year option off their books. They reset there. They get some draft picks to add more players. So
0: he just doesn't fit the timeline. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Boy that is sad. That I mean that is really sad for Detroit. And you know, what is it? What do you in your opinion happened with this Detroit team because even when Minnesota played them, I was like, "Oh, that's uh, not your older brother's Detroit. That's a better team." And they really did look like a better team. And then, you know, Dan Campbell botched some late game stuff, but I thought, "Okay, this Detroit team, they're going to leave here and they're going to go 8 and 9 or 9 and 8 and uh, their offense is pretty explosive. And here we are again with that team just being a complete disaster. I thought they had all the signs. And, and even Jared Goff has played good. Like, I, I don't even think that he's been horrendous or anything. That It just seems like maybe the Dan Campbell idea was better than the execution. Like, everybody loves a Dan Campbell. Like, oh, he's crazy and he's football. But um, really, this league is about scheme. And it's about putting your players in the best situation. And they have just not done that enough to win any games.
1: Yeah, I do think that there has been some kind of coaching mismatches in some of their matchups. Um, It's, you know, like you said, the Dan Campbell experience is a lot of fun. He has made some questionable decisions. I I love his aggressiveness, but, you know, at a certain point, there's kind of an inflection point of you're being aggressive for aggressiveness sake. Um, But also, I think, honestly, I like Aaron Glenn as defensive coordinator. I thought he was a potential future head coach. He was great in New Orleans, but... You're still trying to play a lot of man coverage, and you don't have a pass rush. You cannot get home with four players. Really, you can't get home with five. Even blitzing, their pressure rate is lower than you know Dallas and Buffalo when they're not blitzing. That's how bad they've been up front. And so when you can't protect, a frankly, mediocre corners outside of Jeff Okuda, mediocre might even be a nice word to use there. That kills you. It's why Miami goes out and gets Bradley Chubb yesterday. When you're playing that style of defense, you have to get home. And I think that was somewhat foreseeable. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, you think he's a good player eventually, but a rookie, you know, this entire rookie class has been, frankly, underwhelming at edge. And then the interior for me, though, is the biggest issue is you draft Levi and Wizzariki in the second round last year. They'll take a Lee McNeil in the third, who has been a good player, but the interior, they're just so easy to beat at the point of attack on their defense They can't stop anyone in any manner because it's both secondary and up front. And then the offense is just scrambling to try to keep up and they have to score 30 points in every single game just to be in it. Right. And it
0: just is a roster that probably if coached by Bill Belichick is maybe a a 500 team, but it's not being coached by Bill Belichick. Uh, And you're right. They really don't have one of those nose tackles that just eats up bodies in the middle. I mean, you can do kind of whatever you want to them there. There's a reason why for the history of football, all these teams have always gotten a giant fat man to stick in the middle who could take up two guys and everything else Uh, but you know I do think that um, they're going to have to probably at some point answer for the Dan Campbell thing and like is, is this if you win three or four games this year you can't argue that this guy really knows what he's doing considering that they did improve the roster but that is not really why we're here we're here to talk more about the Vikings and their moves so back to TJ Hawkinson Uh, what would a contract extension look like for TJ Hawkinson? Because I assume that Kwesi Adafo Mensa did not just do this as a -a rent-a-player, and then he is under team control for next year. But when you make this kind of deal for someone who's proven and you feel good about their fit, uh, that's one of the things you want to, a pelt that you want to hang on the wall is not only did we trade for him, but we also extended him for X number of dollars. I think they are showing that they
1: still want to see a body of work in Minnesota evidenced by the condition on one of those picks going to Detroit um you know being uh if they win a playoff game it's a better pick and if they don't then it obviously doesn't you know elevate so I think that is a component of it they they obviously they should have an idea in mind of what an extension could look like but don't feel forced to do it necessarily this off season maybe if they want to go into that fifth year option year maybe even look at a franchise tag I mean, it's thinking far down the line, but you see, even this offseason with, you know, Miami and Mike Kosicki and the Cowboys with Dalton Schultz, when the tag at tight end is under $11 million, those teams had zero interest in actually extending those players, but it doesn't really matter because it's such a cheap, you know, tag there. So that part aside, if they are looking at a deal, look, it's going to be one of the top deals in the market. Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry getting $12.5 million a year. He's better than both of those players. He's younger. He's more proven. He has more upside and he's a better player already. So it's going to be around the 15 million per year that George Kittle is making right now. And I get that fans may pause and say, he's not that guy. He's not even close to that guy. That deal was signed in 2020. So it'll be three years removed from when he's up for a deal. He's a former top 10 pick, which I'm not saying that is why you should be happy about it, but it matters. You know, David and Joku getting his deal and all these guys, like, it always is going to factor in, but I think the big thing, and this is probably, you know, where I think Quasi can be sharp and use his, you know, kind of different line of thinking. You can capitalize on the position market just still being so behind. You mentioned it. If he signs for fifteen million dollars a year, I think he'd be the twenty eighth highest paid wide receiver. It's like you're getting a good player that it matters, makes a difference, and if you compare it to other
0: spots, it, it is a discount. And he noticeably plays about one third of his snaps in the slot, that he is a guy that you can use in a dynamic type of role, maybe not right away because he has to learn to play for the Vikings. But in the long run, you can even put Johnny Munt on the field. You can have TJ Hawkinson in the slot. You can look for mismatches there. Uh, You know, initially, I wasn't sure about the timeline of Irv Smith Jr. I thought it was possible that they would be able to put both of them on the field. But that looks like, that is over with. And I wanted to bring that up with you as well is with Irv Smith Jr. I mean, that is a guy that we thought after seeing him in 2021 camp was going to be the future of this team along with Justin Jefferson. He was going to be that guy who uh, just is a game changer from tight end position. And it just has not ended up working out because of, uh, of the injuries that he's faced. And I I mean, what, what does his future look like? If you're, if you're another team looking at his situation, I mean, is he basically a guy that has to hope for a flyer at this point with with his future? Because I see almost no chance that the Vikings bring him back with TJ Hawkinson next year. That seems like that's almost impossible.
1: Yeah, it's so tough not to kind of name drop or whatever. But like when I w- w- worked there, it was the right after that draft class. Herb Smith was the second round pick in that class. actually the first player we happened to encounter in the building. He um, was very nice, made a joke about how we were the important people as the lawyers or something like that. Um, but th- there was buzz. Like they thought he was going to be a dude. They were really happy about that pick. And yes, every team is happy about every pick. But I think you can kind of tell when it's genuine and when it's more going to be forced or whatnot. They thought he was going to be a special talent. I think he has a lot of those those talents, but the injury has been a killer. But what I pull to, look at Evan Ingram right now in Jacksonville. He is flourishing. He is playing really good football. Obviously, the health was always a little bit of a factor with him as well, but also usage and just you know consistency, not having changes in play, in, in play callers and all that stuff. So I do think that is a similar market. He signed a one-year, $9 million deal this offseason. I think that probably is – that type of deal, the one year flyer probably won't even get that high, frankly. Um, is what Herb is looking at. But this tight end position, you can kind of bounce back. Even guys like Hayden Hurst is playing well in Cincinnati. It's just such a tough position; so weird to gauge. And and guys just at the right time can kind of break out. So I think it's probably smart for him to go one year flyer out because have a good year, then maybe you can sign, you know, a a, a multi year around ten million dollar deal. Obviously, you know, you got
0: to stay healthy and play well. Who would have thought that Tyler Conklin would be the better player between he and Irv Smith Jr. so far in their careers? But I think that what's interesting about this is you're totally right that when they drafted Irv Smith Jr., I think they felt very, very confident that he would be a good player. And then what they saw through their first two years playing alongside Kyle Rudolph and then at the end of 2020 was – this this guy is just emerging. In 2021 training camp, I know it's just training camp, but it does matter. And, and he was dominating before getting that knee injury. But I did not think he had the same juice this year. I don't know that he fit as well. I, I think that the offense is more complicated and less tight end friendly. A Kubiak offense loves its tight ends and maybe not as much uh, McVay style offense. So that was a part of it. But I also had the thought like as great as they believed he was going to be, We're looking at right now, TJ Hawkinson is here. That's a team drafted him high. Noah Fant is somewhere else, not in Denver where he was drafted. Irv Smith, like that was supposed to be this historically great tight end class. They all are going to play for different teams by five years later. And I guess it makes me think like, you maybe shouldn't draft these tight ends super high because you uh, they're very hard to develop because of how complicated it is. And so you develop them three, four years later, and then they go play for someone else. And then they're best, the best versions of themselves like you never get to see. And that might end up being the case with Irv Smith Jr.
1: It's such a hard position to scout to develop to consistently keep in your offense as a you know a guy you can truly utilize and stay healthy and all those things. It is, it falls off a cliff as fast as running back and all those positions. Like the, the on field value of a good one is astronomical, but it's so hard to get there. And then also this goes back to contracts. And again, it's when you're using a draft pick that high, a top 10 pick. I mean, like Kyle Pitts became one of the highest paid tight ends in the NFL the day he was drafted. I mean, Hawkinson was probably in a similar vein. And so, like, it it just kind of you don't get the surplus value you're looking for there. Obviously, if you shoot the moon and get a great pick, it, it can work out. But, yeah, I, I struggle to see how using a first round pick on a tight end is probably is a good investment, um, you know, given the, the range of prob- probabilistic outcomes. It, it more often than not, it's it's a, it's a big gamble to take.
0: Folks, you've heard me talk about liquid death, and I'm glad to see that some of you are getting on board. I got a great tweet from a listener the other day talking about how liquid death has helped him kick sugary drinks and slim down. And also, for the longest time, my wife was the type of person to carry a water bottle everywhere because she didn't like the idea of buying so many plastic bottles. Well, that's the reason it's called liquid death. To bring an end to plastic bottles and instead use aluminum cans, which are easier to recycle for profit and do not end up turning into trash liquid death is even donating 10% of its profits to kill plastic usage so you're going to want to look for liquid death mountain water and flavored sparkling water in the water section and here's how you find it it looks like a beer can it's the only water that looks like a tall boy so whether you want to use it to drink more water or confuse your co-workers by bringing in something that looks like a beer can to work you can find liquid death at Hy-Vee. Target, Walmart, 7-Eleven, and many more stores. Find out where, liquiddeath.com slash insider. That's liquiddeath.com slash insider. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Yeah, and I think that with that one, um, it did not pay off for them. And there were receivers in that draft that they maybe should have looked at. And it was kind of a we need to fill this position right away. They weren't sure what Rudolph's future was going to be. And uh, it ends up not working out. Now, one of the questions I get the most from fans is about what they decided to do last offseason, the Vikings. And how it looks right now. Of course, they're six and one. So you're in the driver's seat to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender when you are six and one. Um, But there are also some things that make it look like a bit of a house of cards, right? Where Zadarius Smith has had to be absolutely. Excellent. I mean, one of the best defensive ends in the league for this to work out. Patrick Peterson has had to be great as well, and their defense is still very shaky at times. Um, the interior of the offensive line is doing the same thing it's done many years uh, in a row, which is give up interior pressure and, and get Kirk Cousins hit. Uh, I guess I, I wonder what you think about like the results. Versus what they did in in their process, like does this sort of prove that they had the right idea, or is is that still very much the jury is out?
1: So I I will, you know, raise my hand and say I I was wrong about some of their off season and thinking that they should have, you know, torn down or or kind of been more sellers and more conservative as opposed to making some of these moves. And why I still think it was okay ultimately was a lot of them were short term. I mean, look, Zaire Smith deals a one year contract, like it's not actually a three-year deal. It's a one-year, $10 million deal. Frankly, he's now going to ask for a new contract. It's not even that the team is going to try to get out of it. He's going to try to get out of it um, if he keeps playing at this level. Um, And so that was kind of it was a lot of patchwork, a lot of stuff that, yes, they've done a couple years in a row now. And and often it hasn't worked out. We're now seeing the one score game swing in their favor. um, And they're winning a lot of those close matchups that really could go either direction. You know, Arizona game, frankly, included with that muffed punt near the end of the game there. Like it's they've had some magic and some luck. But look, I, I also think credit to them. The NFC is bad. It's very, very bad. We did know that coming in, but we also thought hey, at least Green Bay, Los Angeles, and Tampa will be good. They all stick. So, you know, I, I think they were smart to kind of play a little bit in the middle, which can kind of kill you and make things more challenging going forward. But they knew they could navigate it a little bit, maybe have some things bounce their way. So long answer short, you know, I, I think it was still smart to not go multi-year on a lot of those deals, to truly sell out and make a bunch of big moves. But at the end of the day, yes, I think they're a one-win playoff team, potentially. I don't think they're actually a, you know, NFC championship or further team. Um, and that's just kind of where they've been, you know, the last, what, five, six, seven years. Um, but, yeah, you know, credit to them. I think they've done
0: better than even I expected. Well, and, but the question really is – I mean, what do they need to do in order to justify the approach that they took? Because you mentioned like that's how you see them right now is maybe you win one playoff game and and they have plenty of time to prove that you're wrong about that over the rest of the season, especially if they say healthy. Like the opportunity is there to go to Buffalo and show you could play with them or face Dallas here at home and show you could play with them. We're not convinced really yet based on just, you know, beating Arizona, barely beating Detroit, barely beating New Orleans, barely. Um, But, you know, I think that it's funny how the NFL season works, where if you stay healthy and other teams don't, all of a sudden you're a stronger version of yourself than you were before. Right. Uh, And and so where is Where's the bar? Because if they get a home playoff game, that's pretty good. uh, And that's maybe unexpected because we thought Green Bay was going to be better. But if they go 10 and seven to get that, home playoff game, and then they get beaten down by San Francisco or something, it's pretty hard to argue that it worked, even if you had a good season, a fun season, because then you're going to look around and go, "Uh, now what? like all, all, these, all these players, like the the dead cap money that they pushed down the, the line and everything else, it's all going to look kind of like, well, how do you get better because you made a lot of sacrifices to even to get to this point? So I think the bar has to be extremely high for this team still to justify what they did. Yeah, so
1: I would say in, in agreeing with that, I mean, Kirk, again, is on a one-year deal, so do you, again, give him a pseudo-franchise tag, which is basically what they did this past offseason, and navigate that on a year-to-year basis? Is he willing to do that? He's obviously playing some good football. I think they have a legitimately good offense, and the defense, frankly, I think is, is pretty bad. Um, and, and like you said, Zadarius Smith kind of playing really good football, and it doesn't really matter. I will say the other counter, they really haven't had their first two picks in this year's draft. And granted, there's no guarantee those guys come back and then are, are all of a sudden good. Maybe they just end up being four picks. But I like Lewis Cena I liked Andrew Booth both coming out. I thought it was good value where they got them in the draft. Um, and maybe they do return. And then you kind of have this this influx of young talent next year where you actually kind of get you know, it's always like a cliche, but like he's a first round pick this year, all that you know stupid stuff. But, you know, it, it kind of does apply here. And that, I think, is how you maybe take it to new heights, because, again, you're not going to spend like gangbusters again. You have to take care of some guys on your roster or plan to take care of some guys in your roster, including the quarterback, which obviously is always going to be expensive. Um, You know, got to get ready for Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen is—you can see like him slowly starting to break down a little bit. I feel like he's limping to the sideline four plays a game. He's still, you know, great in the red zone, can separate with the best of him, a good player, but you know, he's not going to be there much longer, I don't think. Um, So you know, it, it's interesting. They're still in this kind of state of flux. I understand, you know, saying. The bar should be maybe winning multiple playoff games or, you know, beating some of these legit, you know, teams that come in, you know, forget the playoffs. But, you know, beating a Buffalo, beating a Dallas, showing that you actually can't hang with the big dogs. I mean, they took a step up in class against Philly and got embarrassed. So we have to see, you know, some different results there. But, you know, at the same time, new regime trying to build a foundation and and build positivity and buzz and all that stuff. You kind of can sell yourself on that a little bit. Sell yourself and bring in new players, free agents, all that, all that stuff. Um, you know, because you you now have people buying into what you're doing, you know, right out of the
0: gate. You can. And that's very true to get, you know, Kevin O'Connell um, on the same page with a lot of the key players and and make them believe in him. It always takes winning uh, because Dan Campbell's a great example. You, you think that everyone in Detroit now is buying everything Dan Campbell is selling just because he's a good guy and everything like, no, of course you got to win. You got to show that it can happen. So going six and one as a first impression and first impressions always matter the most, like right away, they're saying it worked. This guy's culture worked. We're buying in and the most important person to buy in is justin jefferson that's a huge deal that the first test for kevin o'connell was jefferson was unhappy with not being moved around enough in the offense and so o'connell did it it's like there you go That's how Stefan Diggs probably should have been handled. And uh, that, you know, right away, the coaches said, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to work with you. We're going to make this go and it's going to result in winning. Uh, The issue is only if they start to fall off because of some of the things that are their weaknesses when they play these tougher teams. I think that the bar should be you put yourself in position to have a chance to reach the Super Bowl, which to me does not necessarily mean multiple playoff wins, because you might play a great game against a great team and lose by a field goal. Greg Joseph, a little shaky so far this year, a lot shaky actually. The um, first kicker in Vikings history, actually, to cause problems. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so let's say that happens, but they won twelve games. Like you can't sit there and say, Well, you just totally failed because your guy missed the field goal. You were in position as a 12 game winner to potentially uh, be a Super Bowl team. So, what they do down the stretch here of the season, and now with TJ Hawkinson, which I think is a big upgrade from what they were getting, I mean, there's really no excuse to not get there. I mean, if you end up going one in three over the next four games or something, that's going to be like, Oh, okay, well, this is kind of what usually happens. I think these next four games are a huge determining factor. You get Hawkinson in here. I, I know he's not going to be able to play 70 plays right away, but still should be an instant upgrade. There's really no excuses for that. Um, so you're saying like at this moment, well, I might've been wrong about the offseason and blowing some of the stuff up. I, I'm going to say, let's talk it in December. If you get to December and you are in route to running away with the division to the point where you can rest starters in the final game of the season and so forth, then you absolutely hit the nail on the head. You gave yourself a chance to reach the Super Bowl, and whatever happens in the playoffs happens. That, that's kind of the way I look at it. I think from a Viking fan base, though, like they have a different view. I think it's more of you kept bringing back Kirk. You brought Kirk here to go deep in the playoffs, to get to the same place Case Keenum did. So that has to happen otherwise. And and also, here's another thing, too. It's not just the final record. It's also Kirk Cousins has to play better. Because if you're talking about uh, what a journeyman backup quarterback could have done, which is his performance right now, it's what you'd expect if you brought in Kyle Orton to play for this team is he'd average six and a half yards a pass and have a 90 quarterback rating and you'd win with turnovers, right? Like that's not what you paid Kirk Cousins to come back for. You could have traded him for a third round pick. So I think that that's a a separate analysis is like the whole thing and then the decision at quarterback.
1: No, I totally hear you. It's always going to come back to that. Although I think I may have watched, unfortunately, more Kyle Orton than you did uh, growing up as a Bears fan. But
0: he was uh, a no, Buffalo I, Bill. It, he was a Buffalo Bill. I covered the whole enough. Kyle Orton season. Went eight and eight. Shockingly,
1: that's that's what he does, man. The Kyle next Orton, year, that's maybe. what the guy does. Um, but yeah, no, 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 I do hear you. And again, it, it always is going to funnel back to that. And yeah, if he's not a difference maker, it's the same thing I'm saying about, you know, with the Niners trading for Christian McCaffrey, ignoring running back value and all that. Look, he's a difference maker. He's the best running back in the NFL when he's healthy by a margin. It's more about you're pushing the chips in, and and if if Jimmy Garoppolo has a Garoppolo performance, which can happen at any moment, you're screwed. I mean, Kansas City comes into town and and absolutely blows the doors off you because that's what a team with a good quarterback can do. So if that happens in the playoffs in Minnesota, yeah, you can say, look, we went down by a couple scores, and oh, what do you know? Kirk Cousins couldn't really do anything about it. That is a foreseeable outcome and a foreseeable event. Um, you know, at the same time, look, I, I still hearken back to their, their win against New Orleans in New Orleans in the playoffs. He played well in that game. They obviously, you know, could have advanced further and, and done more with that season. But I hear you. It's always the Case Keenum. It's not even about Case Keenum. It's yeah, the, the, the message you sold was we got this close. We're now upgrading at the most important position in all of sports to get further. If you don't at least get there one time, I know it's hard, but you know as bad as the NFC is, like you should have a chance to make the ch- the, the conference championship game. It's fair. I think it's a fair bunch benchmark to hold, even as as tough as as uh, a uh, you know as a guy as you are.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also think that it it has to do with his performance in general. Like if he can't take you anywhere higher than anybody else could have gotten you with Geno Smith or Marcus Mariota money. And this was the year of the average backup quarterback or whatever is available. So if you get quarterback play that is reflective of a guy that you could get anywhere what would 20 million more have done for the roster? That's really the equation. It's not like, oh, they should have gotten rid of cousins just to get rid of cousins. Cause they're tired of them or, or he's not clutch or anything like, no, it's always been about the money. It's all, it's like you would have made on a trade, $25 million. You spend five of that on Marcus Mariota. And, and he would have given you similar play as he's done this year. Their expected points added is right next to each other on the list um so far. And so that's, that I'm talking about, I'm not saying it hasn't worked with Kirk. They're six and one. If he plays this well and, and he's clutch and they win games and they get 12 wins. Yeah. I, but I do think there is some separate analysis between that specific decision and the rest of the roster um, that we're going to kind of look back at as we evaluate this entire thing. But I wanted to uh, get to the bears because you study them closely and um Interesting stuff. I mean, I, I actually like the Chase Claypool thing because at some point you have to get players who know how to play football And uh, that deal was available. You also made sure that the Packers didn't get him, which is a nice little bonus. uh, And then stacked draft capital by not overpaying for a linebacker, which would have been foolish. So they get a premium position player that they can extend and have with them for a while who's proven he could play in the league and has just had the worst quarterback play. My gosh. I mean, from washed Ben to uh, Kenny Pickett slash uh, Mitch Trubisky, I mean, Chase Claypool could not have had it worse. It also helps you figure out how good Justin Fields actually is, so I, I like that on a lot of levels. But I wonder how you feel like uh, they did.
1: Yeah, no, holistically, I think it was a great deadline. I think they were one of the "quote unquote" winners of the deadline when you look at all the moves together. I do think giving a potential top forty draft pick for Chase Claypool, you know, it, is a lot. It, it, it's it, it's a, in a vacuum, that's an overpay. But yes bringing in a, a legitimate wide receiver. They have one right now. Now they have two. Um, a, a guy I also think is a perfect fit. He is a deep field, you know, go up and get it, jump ball receiver, but he can also block well. The former tight end, obviously, can can win over the middle, can win as a Z that can kind of move around the, the formation. They do jet suits with him, they do a lot of different things with him. And I think the Bears will be similarly creative. Um, you know, honestly, I think the second half against Minnesota. To now and, the, and the, the play we've seen from Justin Fields is why they felt like they should go make this move and think this guy could be the guy. I know his first month of the season was dreadful. He's been pretty darn good the last month of the year. And you know, I'm as, as objective as they come. I wouldn't be saying that if I didn't believe it. Um, and now, yeah, you, it, it's it's a great fit. You are probably extending both Mooney and him for close to twenty million dollars a year in about nine months. But you know, it's a good problem to have. They need to spend money. I love shifting resources away from defense and towards offense. Look, if it was an edge rusher, it's a different story. But giving a, an off-ball linebacker twenty million dollars per year when you have this roster would be insane. And so, it's super refreshing and encouraging to see the GM make all these moves in moving the resources to the more important side of the football to try to actually evaluate justin fields and find out what you have before this draft where you still do have a first and a you know baltimore second and a couple other extra picks um yeah i'm encouraged i'm happy about it it's exciting um yeah it's just you know claypool better show up and and, and play some good ball but it's it's gonna be fun the rest of the way and You know, it just it just enables you to actually know what you have, which that value cannot be understated. Because they could have been in the quarterback draft market this year, if you know, if they don't know. So it's it's big, and yeah, it'll be fun. I'm repeating myself over and over again, but I'm looking forward to the second half of the year.
0: Folks, I know you've heard me talk about Soda Stick for a long time now, but I'm telling you, you have to start following them on social media for new, fresh gear they are releasing all the time. Of course, they have the classics like the Moss Moon design and the Metrodome shirts and hoodies. But as the local teams go along in their seasons, Soda Stick is constantly putting out new stuff. Whether it's the new Horn State gear or the Vicodontis Rex shirts, lots and lots more from all the Minnesota clubs. Go to SodaStick.com. And follow them at SodaStick on Twitter. That is S O T A S T I C K dot com on Twitter, and use the code Purple Insider to get fifteen percent off your purchase. Well, and I think if you're in Chicago, what you should also be looking forward to is the next off season, because if they walk out of this year feeling good about Justin Fields. I mean, it can just be a bonanza for them with the way that they've set up the cap. And that was kind of the whole deal where it's really like, can you look into the crystal ball of the future when you're being, you know, when you're taking over a team as opposed to saying, let's fix this thing right now. And and a major part of this is always ownership and what they're willing to do. But can you look into the future and say, this is, this is our path? And the path doesn't always take you there. The New York Jets have sputtered on this many times. But I mean, even the Jets are a good example. Their rookie quarterback contract quarterback is bad right now. And yet they're still competitive in winning games, which tells you about the ability to build a team there. Had they had a quality backup quarterback instead of Joe Flacco. If they had Tyrod Taylor or something and he was playing over Zach Wilson, like what are they, they have one loss or something. I mean, really like Wilson has been that bad. And then Joe Flacco wasn't any good either, but their D de- their defense is excellent with Robert Sala. They have playmakers Garrett Wilson's been phenomenal. Like it, you just see the route for Chicago. Uh, I may have called Justin Fields a bust a little too early, but the way he played to start the season was so horrendous. It was like Josh Rosen-esque, and the numbers were Josh Rosen-esque. It was like, I don't know, man. I just don't see it. Um, he started to bring it along now. I think they do at this point after seeing this, unless the wheels come off, they probably do have to give him a third year.
1: A hundred percent. And I think part of it, frankly, is on them. Again, I'm not gonna make excuses for him Uh, in changing their approach. It was very reminiscent to Jalen Hurts last year where Nick Sirianni comes in is a pass happy head coach. Shane Steichen also pass happy offensive coordinator. And they were dropping back 40 times with Jalen Hurts. And they they had their mini buy just like Chicago before the New England Patriots game. And they sat back and said, we are not utilizing this guy's skill set properly. We need to have some designed runs. And not just zone read and read opportunity to have some pin and pull concepts, some counters, some various different ways to utilize his skill set. And they were, I mean, incredible against New England and they've been good since. I mean, Dallas, there was some garbage time, but actually it was kind of a close game until the third quarter or so. And then it really, the way the, the rails really went off. He was, he had three touchdown passes and moved the ball on the ground effectively against maybe the best defense in the NFL. So I am, I'm super encouraged. I think you're seeing a lot of it. There are still some mistakes in the Washington game, missing maybe the easiest touchdown pass of the season uh, to, to Ryan Griffin, the tight end. Like, there's little mistakes, but I think the difference, too, it also helps a ton to have just gone through this with Mitchell Trubisky. He doesn't seem to make the same mistake multiple times. He makes a lot of mistakes. And, well, besides holding on to the ball too long and getting sacked after five seconds, that's the one that they got to work out of him. But... You, you see him, he makes a certain mistake on a throw or miss a read or miss a progression. You don't see it happen again often. And so that's, I think, super encouraging. I, I do think they're going to give him a third year. I, I think they, they are big believers in him becoming that guy. What's the
0: NFC North look like in 2024?
1: <sighs> I mean, it's, it's funny because... It's going to depend on the draft pick at quarterback for Minnesota and Detroit and maybe Green Bay. Uh, I mean, it's, it is it is a good outlook for Chicago. I think that was also a smart, like you said, I mean, you're saving all these resources. You're copying kind of the Buffalo Bills model, not making a Josh Allen comparison. But before he got there, they had a ridiculous dead cap number. The Bears are now at 85 million. I think it's the most dead cap in a single season in NFL history. But you have $125 million in cap space. You're going to spend a ton. Whether you believe leaving fields or not, you have to spend a ton. Um, yeah, I mean, that is kind of, I think, what they were looking at and saying, if we get this right, if we add some talent around him, then we could have Rodgers at the door and a miserable financial situation for Green Bay. Minnesota, Kirk Cousins maybe at the door and a not very good financial situation there. And then Detroit just unfortunately keeps being Detroit. They could be at top of the division in 2024 if Fields becomes – if Fields becomes that guy, they, they will be at top
0: of the division in 2024. Uh, Detroit's just never going to be nothing, never, no. But I, I wanna mean believe. Like, I want to believe. Mean, I almost feel like there's less confidence than ever when you draft the number one quarterback. It's almost like, I don't know, there's six dudes and they're all pretty close to each other. I'm not sure I really understand the Will Levis thing after watching him a little bit, but – Thank you for saying that. I, I don't understand it at all. I mean, he was so bad against Florida. He had
1: a 10-yard safety he took because he just kept going backwards. He was atrocious against Tennessee. Now he just got me on my on my thing. But, yeah, he, I'm sure he'll go ahead of, of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud because he's got moxie and intangibles, and the, the teammates love rallying for him. I think he stinks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of us ever know. Uh, it should always be said. Sure, sure. But in comparison to Stroud and Young, and, and even Anthony Richardson, whose box score statistics don't look all that good, but I've watched a lot of him. And I feel like Florida has been so outmatched by like Georgia or Tennessee, and he's kept them in games by by grinding. But that's you know not the point. Uh, plenty of time in draft season to talk about that. But I just think that like, Detroit has set themselves up to be one quarterback away from going from the biggest joke ever to not. And And here's my evidence the New Orleans Saints and the Buffalo Bills. When I was growing up, the New Orleans Saints were hysterical. I mean, from the time the Dome Patrol ended until the time Drew Brees got there, LOL. Like, they were just a joke. And uh, then you get Drew Brees, and all of a sudden you're the class of the league. And the Buffalo Bills, this is my entire life growing up. I've told the story on the show numerous times, but, like, the reason I watched the whole league growing up and not just having, like, a team is because they were so bad. There was no reason. The worst time of my Sunday was when their game was on. I would watch other games. I wouldn't even bother. They were that bad. And now here they are one Josh Allen away. So Detroit is always one Josh Allen away. And uh, Chicago is Justin Fields having a Tua or a Josh Allen jump. So now Tua doing this makes it a little more interesting too, because it was like, well, Josh Allen, that's never really happened before. And then Tua gets a bunch of talent around him, so that it's a very, very interesting thing. Uh, just before you go, um, the rest of the league who won it the most in the trade deadline,
1: yeah. I mean, I did love Pittsburgh just getting. I mean, that can be a, a, a blue, um, a blue chip tackle they need or something like that. So, I think it's a good, a, a good trade for them. Um, who else? Uh, I mean, Denver, look, our old buddy George Payton. He's going to get judged for eternity for the Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett deals. But I think getting a first-round pick and more for Bradley Chubb, look, he's a good player. I just don't think he's a great player. You get the entire $7 million off the books. You get a first-round pick for a guy. Look, he's not even as good as Baron Browning or Randy Gregory on his own team. Like, he's the third edge rusher. So I thought that was one of the big, biggest wins of the deadline as well. It's just no one's going to care about anything George Payton does
0: besides, besides those two moves. I mean, there is a part of me that always wants to get to the end of this where we talk about some of the trash teams and the things that they did. And to say, hang a banner. I just like put put up a we got draft capital back banner. Detroit's been putting up that banner for many years. Uh good, good. You sold you sold at the deadline. You won. Good for you. Celebrate. Are your fans in the streets? Do they do they give out rings for that? Like, good for you, right? Do they? Do they, oh, they sorry, really?
1: Jacksonville getting Calvin Ridley I thought was awesome. I think it was oh, a smart yeah, move, a great move. move. Uh, obviously crazy, like no one saw that coming. But, you know, don't buy someone for 2022. Your season's already lost as it always is, you know, just like we're talking about Detroit. But you get a number one wide receiver for maybe
0: very cheap. Um, and, yeah, I, I love that move for them too. I do feel like Jacksonville has played way more competitive football. And it sort of yes. blows my mind like that they I mean they're the one lost team like this year that they've been close in many games. But with with Denver, it's definitely hang a banner. Uh you won the trade deadline and absolutely nothing else. And uh, you know, maybe that maybe there is a bit of a future like a neon sign that's warning people about like, not everyone can be Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay and winning or, or Stafford like teams saw these things happen and went like, we should be that team next year and trade for this older quarterback. But sometimes it's Brady and sometimes it's Donovan McNabb as a Viking. It, I mean, the Raiders stink. No, it's funny. Everyone now, oh, the Rams model. Let's follow the
1: Rams model. And it's been a disaster for every team that's done it this year. Um, no, the Jags are 0-6 in one-score games. They've lost six games, every single one by one score. They are going to get better. They have talent. They're super young. Although I do think Lawrence, I don't know what his deal is, but he has such a high, inaccurate pass rate. And if you watch mm-hmm. the tape, it's evident. Like, he just misses throws. But now we're on a whole different tangent. I'm buying on them in 2023. I think they will be a good football team. They just got to get some some small details sorted out.
0: Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. And now also you have taken at least some of the shoes of Eric eager on the PFF forecast podcast. So that is very cool for you to get that opportunity as well with George Shahuri there on that show. Um, So if people were not already listening when Eric was there, well now, Joined to hear uh, Brad Spielberger. Always great to get together with you, man. Uh, the best analysis of front offices in the game. And you almost made an office reference. I don't know. Did you notice it when you were, like, making trades for trade's sake or whatever? You almost went to the malfeasance for malfeasance's sake. And I wanted to make sure I brought that up uh, before we wrapped up. Because if you did that on purpose, it was a brilliant reference.
1: I didn't, but I do love the reference. So I wish. I, I wish it was intentional. I wish I could take credit for that.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, work that into your uh, to your daily life, Brad Spielberger. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you.